<laughs> I just had to put this title on this message. Nobody can worship. Nobody can worship. You know, it's interesting because since we started praying this morning um, and throughout this service, I've been feeling like the, the Holy Spirit's already been stirring it up into the heart of this congregation. So this is going to be no news, no new news to you, but it's going to be really important to hear. I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 17, and I want you to put your finger there on chap verse 11. We're going to read verses 11 through 13. Hallelujah, Jesus. So give me an amen when you get there. Luke 17. Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 13. I need a few more out there before I can proceed. There we go. <laughs> now, just because it may be up on the overhead doesn't mean that uh, you don't get to shout amen. Isaac, you should be able to go there. There we are. So yeah, don't turn there until you've gotten your amen. So that's Caleb back there. You know, There's a light that shines through it, and all I can see is a silhouette, but I should be able to tell a little bit of difference from the hair, I guess. Yeah. Luke 17. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria in Galilee. Then as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Father, thank you for your amazing word. God, right now that we are here, we didn't come just to hear a sermon. We came to worship you. But part of the way that we worship you right now, Jesus, is to have our spirit attentive to what the Holy Spirit is saying through the word of God. What is it, Lord, that you want us to tend to and hear and receive out of your word? Lord, would you purify our hearts? Lord, would you untaint our spirit, Father, from anything that's happened throughout the week or the month or even throughout our lifetime that has gotten into the way of hearing the message that Jesus has for us today? Lord, we want to fully worship you in spirit and in truth. And God, we know that we have to receive your word as you intended for us to hear it intended for us to follow in its steps, Lord, to obey you in truth in order to worship you in truth. And so, Jesus, I thank you for what you've put on my heart, and I pray, God, for an anointing today. I love the anointing, the anointing that makes the difference, the anointing, God, that goes beyond anything that I will say, the anointing, God, that will take us further and deeper into other places in the Bible that are not mentioned this morning. Father, we'll highlight truths to every heart. And elevate God where our greatest spiritual darkness lies. And bring us into the light and the life of Jesus. I'm so grateful, Father, for the way of the Holy Spirit. That, Lord, that He can deliver us from every ounce of darkness. Anything that perverts the life of Jesus. Meant to be lived in us and through us. God, not just a faith factor, but a very real, real factor in our life. And so, Jesus, as we tap into what faith means, we get the experience of what faith does. And, Lord, we love you, Jesus, right now. And pray, God, that in this place that you would pour out your Spirit in and every way. Lord, if there were but one person in this congregation, we know that you would pour out your Spirit, Father, if they had a hungry heart to receive. 
And we look forward to what you're going to do, Lord, right now. And what you're already doing. Thank you, Jesus, for where we are in this minute. And Lord, we love you, Jesus. And we take one, not one moment for granted. Not one moment in the presence of the Lord. Amen. I'm going to go through these verses. And I want you to capture some truths as we do. But this ultimately is just the story of ten lepers. And Jesus comes into their village and all ten of these lepers, are, they're healed of their leprosy. But only one of them comes back to acknowledge Jesus for what he did. And this is the story that's kind of wrapped around this. So I want to unfold some of the thoughts behind this. And if by God's grace, I want to inspire your hearts to leave the interests of the world to itself and just magnify the Lord, not just today, but just magnify the Lord through this week and through the weeks to come, and let the Lord be the master of your life in the same way. I want you to get some of the thoughts behind this, but I want to read this verse one more time. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria. You know, last week we talked about Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. I want you to capture that thought. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. I want you to think about that thought. They stood afar off. If there was anybody whose presence was inviting, it was Jesus. But the condition of these men was that of, at least we could say society said, the lepers were not to be anywhere near anybody who wasn't or wasn't had the infection. So we experienced that idea in the time of COVID. Lord, some of us get sick and we stay home from church. Because we feel like we have to stand afar off from people who are whole or healthy. And that idea is still implied here. But there may also be, but we don't know for sure, that there's this sense of unworthiness or unholiness. And I don't deserve or I'm not worthy to be in the presence of Jesus. You know, and I think all of us should feel that way to some degree. We should know that there's something so different, so altogether different about Jesus that it's remarkable that God should consider me. There's a psalm devoted, and I pray this oftentimes, but what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you take knowledge of him? We're just this flesh and blood, and when you really get down to the work of it, there's such an evil in the presence of mankind that there's just like, we can hear it more and more. It's like every time we try and elevate something good, we find 10,000 times more about what we can talk about that's of darkness. Because there's such an unfolding reality to that in mankind and just in flesh and blood alone. And so they stood afar off and they were conscious of their unfitness to come to Jesus. But they had hoped that His mercy would be greater than their unworthiness. See, there's a time in all of our lives that we we really do feel like, and especially before we come to Jesus, or after even Christians are inundated with a sense of guilt because of sin that still remains. And so they feel like there's this constant, and I can go back to a time in my life where as a Christian, I I went through this roller coaster Christianity where I was up and down in my sin life with Jesus. And I hated it, and I hated myself for being that way. And because of that, I just felt like there was this unworthiness to approach God because of one is because of the pattern of unworthiness in my life. The pattern of sinfulness is it's as if I should be experiencing what grace is all about 
and the grace of God that would eliminate this evil inside of me, and yet I still haven't touched it. And, but I've, I, as, as if I touched it and I, I decided to throw it away. And so I always had that feeling in my mind that I had taken the grace of God and continuously just thrown it to the floor. But maybe what the reality is is that I didn't really understand it to begin with. I didn't really understand what the power of Jesus really was all about. And so because I kept coming in the sense of unworthiness, it was as if I was portraying on Jesus that He ought to reject me because I wasn't worthy of His favor. And I would say there's probably a lot of people, but I would like to say there's a lot of Christians that live within this realm. They feel like they're constantly in a sense of unworthiness because of something that's undealt with or seemingly undealt with within their lives. Sometimes our fault is in thinking that it's safer to address Jesus from a distance as if He would be more offended by our coming but uh, honored by our shouting. Notice that they had shouted to the Lord. It says they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. If you think that it's okay to shout to God, but it's not, it's not fit to come to Jesus, you miss the understanding there. And so some of us feel like, well, there's a distance thing. If I can just throw myself at a distance to Jesus, maybe. And I think a lot of us in our world of life, we've gotten used to the feeling of betrayal to people that we're afraid of. I remember a man once said to me, he was struggling with whether my family was really going to love him unconditionally, as it were. As if his faults were going to drive us away at some point. As if he had revealed the tender areas of his life and we hadn't really accepted him on the terms of who he really was or where he really was and all of those kinds of things. And I remember him saying to me multiple different times, he said, I was just waiting for the shoe to drop. And so we come to Jesus oftentimes because our relationships with mankind is that same way. We're used to the shoe dropping in relationships with people. We're used to people giving us the feeling that there's a hint of love as long as we meet the right conditions of that love and acceptance of life. And so eventually we're going to find they're going to quit serving us if we betray them in some way, as if they find that part of me that's so ugly and I don't like it to come out and it, it always stays buried as far as I can. And I come to church putting on the facade. I go to the holiness meetings looking like everything's pure and I tell everybody all is good, but it's not. And I've got to put on that shade of gray or at least to look like I'm something because that's how we do life. That's our culture, and that's our church today. And so if we don't get out of that way of thinking, sometimes we portray onto Jesus the same thing as if Jesus is going to let the shoe drop in our life. And we've prayed with that mentality oftentimes because I prayed for something to happen and it didn't happen. And you know, sometimes we prayed for somebody to live or somebody to be healed, and that thing that you prayed for never happened and you felt discouraged and broken and you were so sure that God was going to give it to you, and it didn't happen. And so there the shoe dropped as far as you were concerned. The shoe dropped, and Jesus let me down, and something didn't work out. And really the truth is, is that oftentimes, really fading in the background is either the unbelief of our own hearts, or the reality is the will of God is greater than what you realize at the time. 
And God doesn't have to unveil everything to you and learn to trust Him in the midst of it. We don't always have the answer, but I'm more than sure when heaven is opened up and we get to stand before the Lord, we're not going to have questions anymore. We're not going to have this, oh God, why didn't you anymore? We're going to see Him in all of His glory. And all of that's going to fade away. And we're going to come to an understanding that we never had on this side of eternity. But I feel like there's a plethora of people, Christians, non-Christians altogether, that look to God as the one who lets the shoe drop. Everything discouraging in their life is owning on His shoulders. Why don't you give it to who it belongs to? It's called the devil. It's Satan that's tried to do this very work and discourage the light of Jesus and the hope of God. Go there and blame hell for what's going on. But don't ever blame Jesus for the mess up around. And if you, got, if you get past the devil, then go to mankind. We have a way of creating our own problems. If there were no devil, we could do the work for him oftentimes. But we can never blame God because Jesus already, God showed us what he planned on. And the whole will of God was shown in John chapter 3, verse 16. Let's go to verse 14. So when he saw them, Jesus, don't you love that? Jesus saw them. There's so many people feeling right now, Jesus doesn't see me. Yes, you got the theology in head and not a one of you would come here and say, well, Jesus doesn't see me. But oh man, did you see your life? Do you see the way that you pray? Do you see the way you deal with God? You really don't feel like He sees you. But here's a verse for you today. Here's a verse that maybe not you're not quite seeing it, but you're going to get it here. So then He saw them. And He said to them, Go show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. You know, this is interesting because a lot of times Jesus... He just healed them right on the spot. But this instance, He doesn't tell them it according to your faith. He doesn't, te- he doesn't heal them himself, himself. He tells them to go show themselves to the priest. Essentially what He's saying is, you need to go to the priest. The priest isn't going to conform, confirm it. The, well, the priest will ultimately confirm it, but that's not why you're going to and you're going to go, and the priest isn't going to heal you. It isn't in the minister. It isn't in what the minister is going to say or do. You're going to go right now as a leper, and you're going to walk your way to the priest, hoping, believing, and expecting that But when you get there, that he'll be able to confirm the healing. You don't have it right now, and you're going to leave my presence, the presence of Jesus, You're going to leave my presence still a leper. And you're going to go to the priest. And when you get there, you're going to be clean. Now, isn't that powerful? Because some people go to meeting. If I could just get prayed for in the meeting. If that anointed man of God or that powerful woman of God can just lay their hands on me, I'll get healed. And sometimes that's true. And oftentimes that's very real. 
But there are times when God says, there's something different and I'm going to call you to. And I wonder if what Jesus is doing with this is he's like, there's something in the heart that's got to come out. Something bigger that's got to happen. So the evidence of their healing came in the act of their obedience. See, some people want Jesus. They want Jesus to be the same thing of just cast a spell over me. It's the same idea with Jesus is oftentimes we come with the mindset that we need power and we want power and it's all about power and it's not about Jesus. It's all about power and not about Jesus. And what, what we want is a Jesus that will satisfy my longing to be healed without my giving Him my life. I want healing. I want to feel good. I want things to be happy in my life. And I can tell you it's not wrong to want to be happy. <laughs> it's not wrong to want to be healed. But what we're talking about here is the replacement of Jesus. And Jesus becomes a means. A means to a different end. The end in mind for so many people is me. I want to be happy. I want to be fulfilled. I want to have a good life. And Jesus, the pastor says, the Bible says that you would heal me. The Bible says that you would give me. The Bible says that you would relieve me. So Jesus, you're the means to my end. And then the end, what you get is a self-satisfied, self-idolater who worships himself and using Jesus to get it. And that's what needs to die inside of humanity. Because as long as that's inside of us, God will never get a glory on one day while you live on earth, and there'll never be a day which you celebrate in heaven and do it rightly. It'll still be hell in heaven if we do not have humanity converted to loving God. So I think there's something powerful that Jesus is doing. Only Jesus could do this. And that is Jesus is about to bring physical healing and He's about to make God the supreme end in somebody's life. Pretty powerful. The biggest part of what Jesus wanted to do for them or wanted to do for them was not even mentioned. It wasn't even mentioned. Jesus told them to go see the priest. And they, in a sense, there was like there's this idea wrapped around healing. But what Jesus was really wanting wasn't even said yet. It wasn't, it's as if the Lord left that open. And here's what I want to say. This is pretty powerful. When God has done exactly what He wants to do in your life, and you become the specimen of His grace at work in you, you will naturally, automatically do exactly with that what God wants from then on. You don't need to be told afterwards, what do I need to do to make God happy? You will begin to walk in 
the light of the Spirit of God in your life, and you will be free in that way. Let's go to verses 15 and 16. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, oh, I love this. Didn't they all see that they were healed? Wasn't it pretty obvious, no matter who, what, what of these ten lepers, they all saw that they were healed. They all got it. And then this man, when he saw that he was healed, returned. And with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And there's a lot right into those, those few verses. There is so much in that. See, this is the thing. He returned with a loud voice. How many of us have made the sacrifices to get something from God? We gave so much. We prayed so hard. We went through the, the uh, how would I say, the gauntlet of coming to the place at the end of myself and learning to worship God for who He is. And God gave me a miracle. God converted my soul. God did something inside of me. And everything that I really wanted God to do, He did it. And I had the testimony in my hand and in my life. But when that happened, somewhere along the line, maybe you started off giving God praise and telling the world and letting your family know and just letting the whole world know. Maybe you did that at the beginning. And maybe not. But somewhere along the line, we can't quit putting the same kind of emphasis on what God has done. And we still started begging for more. And that, my friends, my brothers and sisters, that is an American Western culture problem. Because we are so entitled to get more than what we've got. We cannot be content with where we are. And we keep pushing on to God. Give me more. Give me more. And we do not give Him more praise for what He's done. We could end it right here. And if you can't be satisfied with what God has already put in your life, what makes you think you should have more? God has been so gracious. And so here we have a people. And it's, it's that this sense of I, I press in to get what I want. And, and men, we've done that when we got married. So many of us, got, we got married... We put all the emphasis in the romance prior to. We did everything we could to win her heart, to love her, and, and get her to say, oh, yes, I do. I'll marry you. You're the man of my life. There's not a better man in all the world than you. And then after we got married, we got to be a little bit more inundated with our culture, and we just quit feeding our marriage. God help us. And then we did the same thing with our children. We did the same thing with all other relationships, and then we do that with God. And then we wonder why we are struggling so spiritually and, and, and having such a hard time. And so here we have this as a revelation that there's one man that returned. There was ten. There wasn't two. There wasn't three. There wasn't four. You would think, you know, if there was two and one returned, at least 50%, right? There was three. Okay, we get one out of three. Four, one out of four, but this is one out of ten. And I think there's, a, there's something for us to see in that. But that he returned. 
Let's have a return policy when it comes to being a brother and a sister in the Lord. Let's have a return policy. But let's not just return once or twice. Let's keep returning for what God has already done. You know, as I, as I was sharing, like Jesus had, had delivered me, brought me out of darkness, given me a home and a family of good discipleship, and this wholeness started coming into my life and love. Why should I stop thanking them about that? Why should that ever become something that it loses its luster over time? Man, that should look as beautiful to me today as it was the day Jesus gave it to me. But then if we look over our life, we're like, but Lord, there are testimonies in my life that I've lost the luster for and the, the, like the fresh love of what you did in the past. So in a sense, we're just basically needing to revisit God. Lord, we put the luster of the past back inside of me. You know, we have the words of the apostle, and we kind of miss, uh, how would I say it, misuse that ver those verses, forgetting the things that are behind and reaching forward to the things before us. He wasn't forgetting what God did. He wasn't ceasing to praise or continue to have the luster for it. It was that that wasn't going, he wasn't going to stay in the old and not get the fresh either. We want, to, we want to stay both near to God in every way. I think sometimes the reason we, we don't get the new is because we're not fresh on the old. We don't continue to give God the praise for what He's done. So it's like saying, well, you know, if you give me the gift, I'll lose the heart for it over time. So in order to keep me happy, you got to keep me constantly replenished with something new. And that's immaturity. Also, he was a Samaritan. So catch that piece there at the end of the verse there in 16. Here the whole truth of the gospel is being magnified. Jesus didn't commend or honor him. I want you to hear this. Because he had nothing to offer. It was because despite his status in life, he gave all the credit to the one who had everything to offer at no cost. See, that's super powerful because a lot of times we're like, Jesus comes to those who have nothing to offer. No. Because even people who have nothing to offer are so proud about how nothing they have to offer. They still won't let God have His way in their life. He can't own them. He can't have the, the, the lordship of their hearts. So here we got in this sense, it's not because He's a Samaritan that Jesus looks at. Him. It's not because He's in a lowly place in life. It's because despite his status, that means this is for the rich, the poor, the blind. It doesn't matter who you are. If you get it, your status doesn't promote you. It doesn't demote you. It's Jesus and giving him the glory that promotes you. It just happens to be most of the time the people of low status get it figured out. They understand it. I don't have anything to give. I don't have anything to give. And Jesus is like, that's not what promotes you. You can have nothing to give and so be so far in rebellion and pride that you don't let me in your heart. That's not how this works. I'm at the center and the core of every man and woman, rich, poor, or whoever. It doesn't matter. 
But the power of this has something to do wrapped around the fact that he's a Samaritan. And Jesus has this ministry. He's a Jew to the ministry of Samaritans. And I want to say, I think sometimes the Samaritan in our life is the person who's gay. The Samaritan in our life is the person who doesn't fit the bill. The person in our life is, and just put, fill the blank. I have a hard time with them because of the way they talk, the way they cuss, the way they whatever. I won't have anything to do because it gets me dirty. And if you're getting dirty from somebody else's filth, it's because you're not close enough to Jesus. What should be happening is you're so clean that you make them clean. <laughs> There's something about you that touches their life and they can't cuss around you. They can't, but there's something more because it's not just I stop cussing, but I start having admiration for. And there's something about the purity of your life that keeps touching at the integrity of something inside of me that's not come out yet, but God's going to get a hold of. See, our hypocrisy never recommends us. We can't say, well, you know, God knows all my shortcomings. He certainly does. But those shortcomings are not helping other people come to Jesus. <laughs> They're just not helping them. Unless somehow they can hear this part of it. My shortcoming leads me to truthfully get things right. And they hear and see you doing that. But repeated all too often will all of a sudden put a blemish on that. They're like, okay, so what we got out of this message was if you do whatever you want and you ask for forgiveness, eventually that's your way out. So we got to understand Jesus is doing more than just making us a rebirth of failure and justification. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. Thank you, Jesus. you got to have more than that when Jesus is finished with you. He just happened to be a Samaritan. The world's prejudice, listen to this, the world's prejudice cannot determine one's worthiness to receive from the fullness of God. I'm going to add one more thing. The church's prejudice does not determine one's worthiness to receive from the fullness of God. Man, isn't that beautiful? That is an amazing to me because people are really wondering, is it really true that I can come as I am? Not I'm going to stay as I am, but I can come as I am? Because I haven't seen the evidence of that. I don't believe that. As a matter of fact, the moment I walk through the door, I see heads start turning, or I see people walk off into the corner and start talking to one another, and it certainly seems like it's about me. You get what I'm saying? It doesn't take long before we're like, you know, the evidence begins to, begins to just start to pour out, and nobody comes around me, and everybody's uncomfortable around me, and all of that, and I'm just as uncomfortable around you. And I remember that. When I first started going to church, I remember that feeling of like, I, I don't really feel like I belong here, but I feel like I need to be here. <laughs> and so here I am, and I'm coming in, and I'm like, I don't know what to say to you people. I don't. And it's not because I think that, you know, you're too good for me. I just don't know. I, I don't fit the, the culture of my life has been dirt, filth, and sin. And so I'm coming into a different culture, I hope. And then I walk in and like, 
Nobody greets me. Nobody says hi to me. Nobody lets me know that I'm even there in their presence. When I was in the youth group, and you can imagine, if it's that way with adults, it's ten times more with young people. And I could walk in, and I could be there as almost as ever not noticed. And here, I want to say this, because I was a depressed young man, so depressed, I was so introvert, that I just didn't know how to talk to people. I wanted people to acknowledge I just didn't know how. And, and people would have thought that I just had a cold shoulder and I was a cold personality and I just really didn't want to be there. <clears throat> You're so wrong. So wrong. And so I'm sure people felt that vibe from me and they just didn't know it. But that was me coming into the church and, and I just remember there was only a few people that would come to me. And I remember the one, his name was Brent, and he came to me and he had these promise cards. And he just had the boldness of a lion. And he walked up to me and he looked me in the eye and he handed me the card and he said, are you happy? <laughs> are you happy? And I remember like, what, what do I do with that? <laughs> what do I do with that? And I remember what really changed me was I was in a prayer meeting and it was like bizarre that I was even there because I was spending more time in depression and at home and further away from church and I just ended up in a prayer meeting. And he walked up to me in that prayer meeting and he just started talking to me and he started opening up to me and he said some things that were naturally offended a person. But for me, it was the words of God and I needed them. And I, and I think the difference was this. It's not that he said something that was crude or hard to receive. It was the fact that he was one of the few people who would approach me. That's what got me. See, I was a Samaritan when I came into the church. And I knew it. And yet, here's a Samaritan. And the world's prejudice. And if the church could have said, get him out of this place, and they didn't. But if had they said that, get him out of here. He's too rank of a sinner. He says things that defile the place. There's things he does. Get him out of here. And if they had done that, that prejudice on me, if they would have kicked me out the door and they would have said things that would have made me feel like I'm hurt by the church, it wouldn't have made a difference about what Jesus really wanted for me. Hallelujah for that. Oh, that there were a few people that got a hold of that today. They would realize it doesn't matter how you've been hurt. It doesn't matter what somebody's done in your past. It doesn't matter what they've named you as. Jesus has a different plan. And just accept His terms. Quit bringing that in front of Jesus. Lord, the shoe dropped with you because it dropped with them. One day you're going to stand before Jesus and you're going to give an account of false accusations that you put on His shoulders when He didn't deserve it. And then you're going to realize the regret of all the freedoms that God would have brought in your life if you would have just trusted Him and stop letting everything else become the reason and the justification for not serving Jesus. Man, that's powerful. So Jesus answered. Let's go to verse 17. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? Jesus, here's the thing. They were all cleansed even though not all of them were going to come back and worship. Oh. 
Were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Where are the nine? Sometimes I have that feeling on a Sunday. Where are the nine? What are you doing that's so important that you don't have time to come back and return and give Jesus the honor? See, there's, there's something about the nine here, but I want to say something. We get too focused on the nine. Let's focus on the one. See, I could preach a sermon around the disgust of how frustrating it is to watch the nine take the grace of God and run off into the world and forget about the one or the people who are right in front of me. said, I came and I'm letting Jesus in and I come to church when it's hard and I come to church when it's difficult and I find my way in the prayer meeting when I have other things to do and life is crazy busy and I'm still worshiping Jesus. I'm not doing it for you, Pastor. Thank you. I am because I love you but I love Jesus more, so I do it to Jesus first and foremost. Hallelujah. And then I come and I serve underneath underneath Jesus. I serve you. And I'm just a part of what God is doing. And I'm going to carry some of the weight for you. Because God knows there is no pastor on earth that can visit everybody. That can be there at every situation. That can serve everybody equally. But praise God that you make up the difference in the ministry. And we love that Jesus is ministering in that way. So there are, right in front of me, a body of people who love Jesus who came to give Him the return of the worship and the honor and the favor that He deserves for what He's done in your life. Thank You, Lord, for this week. Last week was difficult. Last week was hard. But thank You, Lord, that You got me through it and I'm here to give You praise. And Lord, next week may be difficult, but I'm giving You praise and I'm loving You. I'm hearing the the story of uh, I'm forgetting his name. Um, uh, huh? No, the one you were telling Robbie. Robbie. So like, I got to get my head clear here for a moment. Robbie. And we're hearing of like this miraculous in his life, and it's just like maybe maybe somebody else is coming to give God the return and what has happened in somebody's life. But you can never, for the rest of your life, take for granted one act of God's miraculous supernatural touch in your life. There isn't a million dollars that could buy it. There's nothing that could give it. And so here's the Samaritan and the one man that's cleansed. And so sometimes we're wondering, where are the nine? And I want to pray. Let's pray for the nine. Let's pray for the nine. Lord, they're not here with us, but we love them deeply. They have their reasons for even being mad at me, but I love them too much. I want to see the nine Come, I want to see all of those that were cleansed back at the altars of Jesus and giving Him thanks. I'm not going to let discouragement of the past or what anybody else... So remember this. As freely as God has determined that there's nobody in the world, nobody's prejudice that can determine whether you're rightly fit to stand before God, then remember that, that your prejudice doesn't determine whether they're fit to come before God also. So pray for them. Pray deeply, preferred. Pray until you see them coming in. Call them when you can. Give them mercy. Send them gifts. Let them know with everything that you can that they're important to you. And they'll probably begin to realize they're important to God. 
but I have a lot going on in my life. Maybe the stress that's wrapped around that is more the issue. It's not what's going on. It's the stress you're carrying. So maybe if you start giving yourself to somebody else, you'll let go of the stress in your own life and start feeling rest and favor and touching somebody else's. It's not what we have to offer. It's what we choose to acknowledge that counts with God. I want to say that one more time. It's not what we offer. It's what we choose to acknowledge that counts with God. I don't have anything to offer. But did you acknowledge what Jesus has done? That's what counts. You know, Abraham, it says that he was, he was fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able to perform. He's just acknowledging. And this was imputed into him for righteousness. Why? Because what God hasn't done in this world that we live in, God has not elevated everybody to this secure status in life. How many of you have all the money you want in the world? How many of you never have to worry about bills? How many of you are not concerned about health issues or any? It's, that's not how this is working. But there's something that every single one of us can do no matter where we are in status. And we can acknowledge God. We can do that. So Jesus is literally saying, I have made this work for the the." the for everybody across the board, no matter how hard it is, no matter how what difficulty you're facing. Where are the nine? This is one of the most staggering questions throughout the Bible. There will never be a day in our life when we will have to be when we will have outpraised the blessings that God has given us. We got it. Amen. Help the preacher here. If we are not careful, we can lose. Listen to this part. If we are not careful, we can lose the importance of perpetual praise, love, and admiration for God. We're waiting for the next thing to happen so we lost the praise before it got there. <laughs> Let's stay in the praise place. Where, where they're not, uh, the last, let's see, the, uh, Luke 17, 18 through 19. Where there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner. And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Uh, another version actually says, made you whole. The highest honor God can give to someone is that they returned to give him praise. And to top it off, they were a nobody. Now you know the title of the sermon. Nobody can worship. <laughs> the evidence that the work of grace. So Jesus is saying, see Jesus, the first thing he told them was go to the priest. The last thing he told him was go your way. He didn't tell him where to go. He didn't tell him where he needed to go, what he needed to do the next time. Because he had done the very thing that would lead him the rest of his life. The evidence that the work of grace is at work in your heart is that you can go your way. You can go anywhere in life and you will remain faithful to Jesus. Go your way. <laughs> That's the, that's the thing we need the Holy Spirit to seal in our hearts. Well, I can't go here, or I can't be here because I'll mess up, or I'll sin, or I'll fail. There's a problem there. Right? So now, the last part of this sermon, I want you to look in chapter 17, and I want you to go to some verses before this story. And that is 5 through 10. So we're going to look at verses 5 through 10. And I, was, I staggered at this a little bit. I actually went to the Matthew Henry commentary hoping that 
I would get a little bit of light on it, and I think you'll understand why. In verse 5, just starting there, say amen if you're there. Not just because you can see it on the screen. Actually, you can't see it on the screen. You just see the verses you go through. Uh, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. Are you guys saying that? Lord, increase my faith. I mean, maybe you got lots of faith, but do you still pray in Lord, I want more? Right? Because there's a key to this faith thing. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. Now, essentially, Jesus is almost like he's saying, if you had this little itty bitty bit of faith, this is what you could do with it. And they're asking for lots more faith. And Jesus had this way of times like it's almost this confusing way of teaching of how come you just said the opposite of what I was asking for? How come your answer doesn't complete my curiosity? And in verse 7, of which of you having a servant, and this is where it kind of got south for me. I was like, I don't quite, I don't, I don't see the context, uh, how it's all put together. Which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him, when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me? till I have eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink. Or you will eat and drink. So he's saying the servant comes in, and then he takes care of the master, and then he gets to eat afterwards. Does he think that the servant, does he think the servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say we are unprofitable servants, we have done what was our duty. So Jesus is saying now, when you serve, when you give yourself, when you're done serving, call yourself an unprofitable servant. That was not to degrade yourself. It was the reflection on, no matter how thorough and good your service is, it's not what causes or gives you recommendation before God. See, at the very crux of the, because this is the thing, because when we get gospel-centered or become gospel, we need gospel-corrected. Because oftentimes we get away from the very thing that became the foundation point of our life with Jesus. And that was that we knew we were too rotten in life and in heart to have acceptance with God on any basis. So somehow Jesus took us in, even though I didn't deserve it. There wasn't anything about me. I'm totally unworthy, and yet Jesus took me in. He made me clean and made me a new man. Then we got clean and hopefully sanctified. And then we forgot that same element was at work no matter how much we've matured or come to be a fuller Christian in life. We're still an unprofitable servant. Now, I think this is interesting because it doesn't tell us when we get from there to verse 11, it says it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria, and he, hits, it's, he runs in these ten lepers. Now, what we don't know is the timeline. It doesn't tell us if this was immediately after or whatever. But I think this. When Jesus, when the disciples asked Jesus, show us how to increase our faith, amazingly, Jesus did not give them a faith-based answer. He didn't tell them that it was based on their faith. He didn't tell them to increase their faith or do anything with their faith. But what he did do is he gave them a perspective principle. 
when you can look at yourself as an unprofitable servant, literally what Jesus, I think, is saying is when you can see little of yourself, but you can see big with God. See, it's a matter of your perspective with God in proportion of how you look at yourself. So I am so worthless, and then you've now put that perspective on God, and God doesn't see me any, he doesn't want to do anything with me. But rather, God is perfect, He's done everything, that's going to bring me into that place where I need to be. So it's a perspective principle. I am an unprofitable servant. In essence, what Jesus was teaching them was that faith would grow only as the governing perspective of themselves and their perspective of God were in harmony with what they believed. I want to say that one more time. In essence, Jesus was teaching them that their faith would grow only as a governing perspective of themselves and their perspective of God were in harmony with what they believed. See, we have this thing that I can, as long as I have faith, as long it can be disconnected from everything else that Jesus said. But I believe. That's, that's how Jesus does this thing. So we have this very immature faith that needs purity and perfecting and continuing. So Jesus was saying this with them. At our best, we are unprofitable servants. Nevertheless, this perspective is central to our ability to receive from God. Jesus isn't wanting us to come up and boast about how good we've done or how faithful we've been or how pure we are or how much of a good Christian we are. And if you are, great. But the reality piece of this is this, is that that's not this perspective of I'm an unprofitable servant is entrance into living close to Jesus. In other words, faith increases when it is married to this perspective. Why would Jesus teach it? Why would the disciples ask it, and this is what Jesus tells them, and it doesn't have any significance to it? But now your perspective is changing, and your faith is being molded into with that perspective. What this, That is exactly what I think the Samaritan leper discovered. You can be a nobody as long as you see God rightly and respond accordingly. This is where the biggest miracle happens. This is where we worship God truly. I am a nobody, but I see God truly and I'm responding accordingly. That means at times you need to jump up from your seat and you need to shout a praise. There's times when you need to call somebody and you're like, oh man, if I tried to share with them what I know, they just wouldn't want to listen to me and you need to do it. See, there were, there's another, uh, there were 12 disciples this time. But out of that number of 12, there was only one disciple that stepped out of the boat. And I was praying not too long ago and I was like, Lord, would you deliver the boat ridden? We are boat ridden. We are just stuck in this boat. We are afraid to step out on water because none of this makes sense to me. But learn to trust in Jesus and you will find that it's better to be in the on the water or stepping out on the water than it is staying in the boat. Now I want to pray for you because if you've been in the boat, you need to get in the water. <laughs> You need to see what God has for you here. I want you to be encouraged that God is going to bring God is going to bring about results when we start walking in obedience. Whatever that obedience is, that we need to let the Lord have His way in our life. 
I want to give you an opportunity to receive as the Lord is. I want to lastly just say this, guys. I'm not asking at every service that everybody come up to the altar. But I am going to say that I think this. I think there's some of you who honestly feel like that's either degrading to you or that's humiliating to you. And Jesus says he exalts the humble. Sometimes the reason why we need to go to the altar is because God wants to do something in the very wall that's keeping him from doing it in your life is that you do not let him have that place of humility. So some of us need to come to an altar because we need to make that step before God. What you don't know is, is the miracle God has for you. The other thing I would say is this, is that sometimes we feel like this, and we hear this, it's kind of like somebody saying, I go to the mountains to get my time with God. I don't need to go to church. Well, I think for us, I just wait, I, I stay in my seat and I get from God. I don't need to come to the altar. And sometimes I think that's the mentality here, is that God can be anywhere, and that's all true. But where Jesus isn't, he isn't in the place that you're afraid to go visit. Meaning simply this, is that if you're refusing to do it because of pride or whatever your reason is, that's where Jesus wants you to be, oftentimes. And I'm not saying that because I'm trying to coax you to the altar, because that doesn't matter to me. But what it does matter to me is this, is that those that are missing something from God because of some other thing in their life, you need to find your way. You need to get there. That's what I'm talking about. Because there's going to be times we're going to call an altar call and you're going to feel the need. And you're going to think about it and you'll be like, well, I feel embarrassed or I feel weird or I don't want people watching me. Who cares? Yeah. Now, think about this. The Samaritan leper who got the touch of God on his life, do you know what he did? He went against the flow of the prejudice that was aimed at him. He had to go walk into the crowd where Jesus was, the crowd that didn't want him to be there, and he wanted, he needed to glorify Jesus right in front of everybody that was there, and a Samaritan man and a foreigner, so that Jesus could say to everybody there, he could point out the bigger fault in most of us is this. We spend more time judging somebody else about their freedom than we do about dealing with ourselves. So, when I'm talking about that is, is no matter what you think anybody else in this place is thinking or any of that, would you please, for the, the touch of God on your life, would you just move in God's direction and get past the prejudice or the fears of that prejudice or what the thought of prejudice in your heart and let the Lord have His way. Yeah. Don't stop because the music stops. Don't stop because you hear people talking in the background. You stay there even if you're like, Lord, I don't feel like anything's happening. And you give some time to Jesus. and You'd be surprised about when the Lord looks on you and He says, you know, you didn't come up here very hungry to start with, but you've cultivated a hunger by staying. And I've been building something inside of you and the Holy Spirit wants to move in your life. I want to give you that opportunity. I'm not asking anybody but has the Holy Spirit pulling them to an altar to do so. But oftentimes I feel like the Holy Spirit's pulling and we're one of those nine that are staying back 
and we're not coming forward where God wants us. And that's what worship is all about, is just coming forward with God. And we love you. Believe me, it thrills my heart to see the Holy Spirit touch somebody, somebody just warm enough to say, Lord, have your way with me. So I'm going to have Caleb in the back. He's going to turn on the music like we do. I want to pray over you. We're not officially ending the service because the Holy Spirit wants to do what he wants to do with you. That's how we end this. <laughs> when he's done, we're done, right? So we'll give God the praise. Let me pray, and then uh, Caleb will turn that on. And you, as while I'm praying, if you feel the Holy Spirit tugging your heart, why don't you come on up? Father, we thank you for the, the Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts. Lord, we really needed this today. Lord, we really needed this. We really needed to know that we were on a plane. Father, our minds tell us that we're on a plane where we can come and be with you. But, Lord, there's times in our hearts and feelings, Lord, that override that feeling. So, God, here we are. Here we are, Lord, to just say, I'm here. I'm ready to spend all day with you and in any way that you want. I'm all yours. Jesus, I pray all over this place. Father, I pray all over this place. A touch of your spirit, Lord, in each life and over every mind. Lord, I pray right now for the leprosy in our spirits, Lord, the leprosy of pain, past, whatever people done to us, Lord, or where we feel like we've failed before you, God, that leprosy, God, be healed in Jesus' name. Right now and all over this place, and we ask you, Father, to fulfill fill our hearts to where we just can't stop worshiping you. Lord, we're asking you to do something for us, but Lord, we're also wanting to give you praise for what you've done right now. In Jesus' name encourage you to come. Amen. Caleb, go ahead and turn that on.